This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. I, I think, you know, we look at multiple things, that consistency, to do things over and over again. And, um, you know, we always talk about to the players, it's not the call. The players bring the calls to life. And so when we look at the front, you know, how many of them are bringing the call to life more times than not? And, um, you know, we, we, we just got to have that rush up front. And uh, it, it's so critical to any team. And, um, you know, I, th- I think, uh, you know, as we continue to evaluate these guys, the consistency and how they play the run and the pass, you know, a fourth quarter rush, a two-minute rush is so important, especially what happened from last year, right? And I think that's where the depth and we've got to have, you know, two groups that we really can count on to keep our guys fresh so when those situations occur, you know, we take advantage of them. That's Gus Bradley. This Raiders legend segment brought to you by the M Spawn Resort. We do a lot at the M. Uh, head on out there and you will see Raider legends there all the time during this season. Uh, Mike Ciani kind enough to join us, former Raider wide receiver, the pride of Staten Island through Villanova. Mike, good to talk to you again. How are you? Hey, I'm great, JT. How are you? Boy, not too many people know about Staten Island. (laughs) Hey, I'm a Long Island guy. You know, Staten Island wasn't that far away from me. And we begin with the early part of your career. What a great baseball career you had and football career. Where was the big decision to play multiple sports back in that era and how you excelled at both? Uh, well, JT, you know, I uh, coming out of high school, um, I had probably 90 to 100 scholarship offers, and Villanova was one of the few schools that was going to let me play both football and baseball. All the other schools wanted me just to focus on football. And, you know, when I was 17, 18 years old, I liked baseball just as much as I liked football. So they gave me the opportunity to play both. When you got to Villanova as a football player, what was your style of play coming out of high school, and how did you evolve? Strong, big, running routes. What was that evolution like for you before you were drafted by the Raiders? Well, it's interesting you say that because when I was in high school, we actually ran a single wing, so I was a tight end more than a wide receiver. We didn't throw that much. And then when I got to Villanova, you know, they made me a wide receiver, and I was able to use – Probably my size, you know, at, at 6'3", and I, when I was in at Villanova, I think I probably played at about 210. Uh, so I was able to use my size uh, more than anything uh, as a wide receiver. Mike Ciani is our guest. So, Mike, you come out of college, you come to the Raiders, 72, first-round pick, number 21 overall, to an unbelievable great team, and a, a team that was being snake-bit, winning a lot of games, but losing some very big games. And you come in and have this incredible rookie year, runner-up with Franco for Rookie of the Year. It was very hard at that time for rookies to come in with the Raiders and establish themselves that quickly. How were you able to do it? (laughs) Well, um, it was interesting, JT, because Freddie Bolitnikoff was the veteran. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a, a guy named Warren Wells who had been a tremendous wide receiver and then for some reason, um, he he showed up at camp, and then he left camp, and then he never came back again. And Cliff Branch and I were drafted the same year. So we played for years with just Freddie, Cliff, and myself. And you either got in there and, and did it, or 
you got cut or you you know you went to and you got mm-hmm. traded to another team so we we had Freddie on one side nobody was going to replace him so Cliff and I kind of switched back and forth uh, of course Al always liked you know the receiver who can go deep which was Cliff and then the the possession receiver you know both Freddie and I and so that's pretty much how it evolved in fact that kid with Tom Flores once in a while when I see Tom, and I said, you had the best job in the NFL. You only had to coach three guys, Fred Bolitnikoff, <laughs> Cliff Branch, and myself. <laughs> Mike Ciani, that is so good. And, Mike, I can imagine what it must have been like to learn from Fred Bolitnikoff at that stage with the, all the success that he had and still being the primary target there until Cliff developed and you developed. What did you learn from Fred Bolitnikoff as a practice player every day as you were developing with the Raiders? That's a, that's a great question, JT. Um, you know, you watch veterans like that, and they're true professionals. Uh, you know, they, they go out and they, they work hard every day. Uh, they repeat the same things over and over and over and over again during practice. So when you get into a game, it's just second nature. You just do it. And, and, you know, so we would get out there and we'd watch Freddie and we'd, we would, you know, watch his steps and watch how he moved his body and how he tilted and how he played, uh, you know, his weight, how he leaned one way or leaned the other. Um, another thing I, I learned from both Freddie and uh, uh, Kenny Stabler, uh, I was watching him one day hit the speed bag. We had a speed bag outside. Uh, right near the practice field, and I said, what do you hit that for? And they said, this is the best exercise you can do for good eye-hand coordination. I never realized that. And mm-hmm. and so we started hitting, Cliff and I started hitting a speed bag also, and it helped tremendously. Mike Ciani is our guest, Raiders 72-77, to a Super Bowl victory. What was it like, those private moments with the snake, Kenny Stabler, LaMonica, Stabler waiting for his opportunity to play, and knowing that Stabler would go on to be a Hall of Famer, one of the all-time recognized quarterbacks in NFL history, what were those struggles like when Snake was looking to get on the field and you would have, I would assume, Mike, I'm assuming this, have some extra practice time and work together as you were both evolving? Well, when I first got there in 72, when Cliff and I first got there, JT, we actually had three pretty good quarterbacks. Yes. You had Daryl Monica, who was a starter. George Blanda was still playing, doing mostly kicking, but George would get out and, and throw during practice every day. And then Snake. And um, uh, Daryl was a starter uh, through most of my first year and most of, half of my second year. And, of course, you know, Snake brought us back in that Pittsburgh playoff mm. game, that immaculate reception uh, game. And he, he, at that point, he showed the leadership qualities that he had because we had really done nothing the whole game on offense. And, boom, he comes in and takes us 80 yards, you know, in less than two minutes to score a touchdown. And he scored the touchdown to put us ahead before that uh, not so immaculate deception, as I yes. call it. Um, well, it's in- so it must, yep. have been, it must have been hard for Snake, um, but he was a very patient man, and he learned a lot, I guess, watching Daryl. And he and George were very close. Uh, George would really mentor a Snake. And, and I used to kid Kenny, and I say, you know, the only reason 
why, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why you're going to get into the Hall of Fame is because when you throw it, I catch it. <laughs> okay, I don't <laughs> drop it. <laughs> and he said, Mike, if you don't catch it, I've got about three or four other guys I can throw sure. to, so you better catch it. <laughs> Mike Ciani is our guest. Mike, I always see you and the connection you have with Fu, uh, Phil Villapiano. What was the nightlife like? What was training camp like? I mean, we always hear about you guys the night I've talked to Freddie and I talked to Snake about this when he was alive. You know, how loose you were. Madden wanted you to play like hell, be on time, and play like hell on Sunday. But a Saturday night or a Friday night before a home game, do you look back on those times and how much fun you had, even though you guys were playing still at a very high level? Yeah, JT. Um, you know, Phil, if you put a, gave Phil Villapiano a uniform today, he'd still go out and play. Yes. Okay, that's how, that's how crazy he is. And, um, you know, some of the things we did at training camp it, it involved nothing about football. It was so many other things. We had a bowling tournament during training camp. We had an air hockey tournament during training camp. We had a parade in town up in Santa Rosa for no reason at all. We just put on a parade. Um, we had all these other things going on. And John only asked us to do three things. Show up on time, pay attention, and then play your ass off on Sunday. That's really all he cared about. And so, you know, these guys, first of all, I don't know if they were controllable. You know, you get a guy like Snake or, you know, some of these other guys, they're going to go out and they're going to party hard every night and they're going to show up for practice every single day. You know, they never miss a practice. And then on Sunday, they play as, as hard and as, as best as that they could. Mike Ciani's our guest. Take me through 76 season on the run to the Super Bowl, your fondest memories, <clears throat> excuse me, with that unit and how you all came together with enormous pressure to finally break through after the immaculate deception, as you talked about, and the tough losses and broke through to win the Super Bowl. Well, you know, JT, that, that immaculate reception, uh, that was my rookie season. So we lose to Pittsburgh in the uh, playoffs. The next year we beat Pittsburgh, we go to Miami, and we lose to Miami uh, in the AFC championship game. The next year we lose to Pittsburgh again in the AFC championship game. The next year we lose again to Pittsburgh in the AFC championship oh. game. So the, fi the fifth year... We finally get them at home, and and we beat them. And, of course, you know, their excuse was, well, we didn't have Franco, and we didn't have Rocky Blyer. They were both hurt that game. Well, we were going to beat anybody that day. That, to us, was the Super Bowl. Um, because in August, when we showed up for training camp, John, one of the things John told us was, we have to beat Pittsburgh. I, he said, I don't care who we beat, but if we're going to get to the Super Bowl, we got to beat the Steelers. So that beating, and I mean we beat them up pretty good, um, was the most satisfying, gratifying win of the season. You know, Mike, a lot of young players, as we wrap this up, or a lot of young fans, excuse me, they don't understand the difference between this organization having three Super Bowl victories and having six or seven, and that was your era, 72, 3, 4, 5, all those games that you talked about, the winner 
of that final game in the AFC was going to win the Super Bowl, and it was the difference between a Steelers dynasty and the Raiders having won Super Bowl. Looking back on that, I mean, I know you've been able to come to grips with that, but how do you come to grips with it, knowing you just played in the biggest games, the most impactful games, and maybe, I believe, the greatest era, the 70s in the history of the NFL? Well, I don't know if you ever come to grips with it, JT. I mean, I still am upset at, you know, first of all, the Immaculate Reception. And then after we won our first Super Bowl, we get to the AFC Championship game the following year. And we beat uh, the Baltimore Colts in that famous uh, ghost-to-the-post-play double overtime. And now we go to Denver. And we're beating Denver to get to the Super Bowl again. Jack Tatum picks up a fumble and runs it 90 yards for a touchdown to clinch the, the, the win, and the referees blow the whistle dead. They said, oh, the ball you know, was on the ground or the whistle had blown or something like that. So we could have gotten to another Super Bowl then, seven in a row. And that's the only year, by the way, that an NFC team won the Super Bowl from 1970 to 1980, the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. beat the Broncos. We should have been there and beat the Dallas Cowboys again in another Super Bowl. Yeah, the Rob Lytle fumble. Mike, what are you doing now? What's going on with your life? Uh, what's it like? Where are you? I think you're, you're back east again. What are you doing now? Yeah, I, I am uh, back in North Carolina now, JT. Um, I spent some time in California mm-hmm. uh, with my family, my, my three children or three adults and five grandchildren. They're all in the a Southern California area. Um, I had I had really thought about moving to Las Vegas from Southern California uh, last year before. You know, and, uh, Phone's breaking up there, Mike. Talk into the phone. We're losing you. <clears throat> Can you hear me now? Yeah, now we got you. Go ahead. Yep. I'm sorry. Um, you know, and, and, and so I'm back in. Uh, North Carolina, and um, just kind of taking it easy. I work part-time at a golf course, play golf two, three times uh, a week. And um, looking forward to this NFL season because I want to see the Raiders finally kick some ass. Awesome. We're looking forward to seeing you and hosting you out here. The alumni department uh, loves you. And obviously we got to have a drink at Philip Biano's bar inside Allegiant Stadium. No surprise there. Hey, let me wrap it up, Mike. You got the legacy brick from Mark Davis. What does that mean to you? Oh, that means a lot. In fact, I was out there probably back in, in March and uh, saw that and took some pictures. And it's really great. And it's, you know, it's, it's great the way Mark continues to um, include the uh, the former players. We're not old players. We're just former players, uh, JT. And, you know, he looks after us. Uh, we're constantly getting things uh, from the alumni department and, and, you know, asking us to be involved in this and that. And, and of course, I'm going to do it. And, you know, I look forward to seeing him. Hopefully he's going to be at the Hall of Fame in August when Tom Flores uh, gets, you know, inducted or enshrined. So I'm going to be there myself. Are you going to be there? I will be there, so I'm looking forward. My wife and I will be there, and we look forward to celebrating with Coach Flores and you, Mike. So we'll catch up there, and uh, then we'll see you for a game or two out here during the regular season. Thanks so much for doing this. You mean everything to the team. Thrilled that I could interview you today. Okay. 
thanks for thinking of me and remembering me, JT. <laughs> you got it. Well, no, that, that, that's for sure. Thanks, Mike. This is the alumni department and what they do, setting up these legends. If you're out there, I know you are and you're listening. If you got a story about Mike Ciani, one of the most respected Raider champions, the impact that he had in his rookie season, in his first year in Oakland, 1972, drafted number 21 overall, set multiple rookie team records, and was the runner-up for Rookie of the Year to Franco Harris. Think of that. And, he, you know, he's a bad, he played with uh, Freddie and Cliff, and then Cliff exploded to be one of the greatest players of all time. Mike uh, moved on to Baltimore as Raymond Chester came back to the Raiders. So he was a part of that uh, trade there that happened then. So if you look at all of this, Mike Ciani was a hell of a player when he came into the league and one of the most important Raiders when it came to the 70s era as a teammate inside the organization and on the field. We appreciate Mike Ciani joining us. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Brought to you by the M Resort and Spa. Nice. Good to talk to him, and we'll see him in Canton. And I hope a lot of Raider Nation is booking their trip. Charles Woodson and Tom Flores will be in this extended class for the Hall of Fame. Can't wait to be out there in August. This is Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. 